Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. So the sermon text tonight is from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 um, through chapter 7, verses 6, if you guys want to turn there. Romans 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 7. Or... Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while she lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captives, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. That's uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. So last week I gave a definition of a Christian. Does anybody remember the definition of a Christian that I gave last week? A Christian is someone who has been 
Katie for the win. Supernaturally enabled to love God and others. So a Christian is someone who's been supernaturally enabled to love God and others. And here's the implication of that. The implication is that unless, unless we receive the supernatural enablement, it's not possible for us to love God. And it's not possible for us to love others in the way that God has commanded us to do so. So a Christian is someone who, by grace through faith, has been supernaturally enabled to love God. Instead of running from him, instead of hating him, instead of rebelling against him, instead of being ambivalent towards him, however we might want to characterize how we live apart from God, the reality is that we're far from him. We're distant from him. We're strangers and enemies. But by God's grace, when we place our trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit recreates us as a new person who's now able to love our maker. So that is crucial for understanding what Paul's up to in the present passage because he's really digging into the nature of what it means to be in relationship with God. And this takes us all the way back to the Old Testament and especially to the book of Deuteronomy and even a little bit of Exodus because here's kind of the background of the Deuteronomy and Exodus stories is that Israel has been living far away from the promised land, right? Because of Joseph's faithful leadership, Joseph goes to Egypt. He's able to spare Egypt from famine and the surrounding nations from famine. So many nations are kept alive because God put Joseph in the right place at the right time with the right knowledge in order to make a big difference. And so Joseph saves the world from famine by God's help. And Israel, as a result, are honored guests inside of Egypt the most powerful nation ever to exist on the face of the earth, the wealthiest nation ever to exist on the face of the earth, especially now that they just got done taking everybody's money to keep everybody alive during the famine. And so that's a beautiful moment for the Hebrew people in some ways, but the problem is that eventually a new Pharaoh rises up, and he doesn't know anything about Mr. Joseph. All he knows is that there are these strange people who are beginning to become a little bit too numerous. They're growing too strong. They're becoming a threat. And he's wondered if maybe he should build a wall and keep the immigrants out of Egypt, right? And so they become a little bit less favored. And there's this, this terrible oppression that ensues from the Egyptians to God's people. And eventually God rescues them from Egypt, he marches them dry-footed across the Red Sea by the greatest act of deliverance in the history of humanity. But here's something that you might not have thought about. They don't go, the Israelites do not go from slavery to freedom. Not exactly. Instead, what happens is they go from slavery to slavery. And what happens is they just change masters. In fact, the entire book of Deuteronomy is structured as a treaty between a master and his slave nation. 
In other words, it's the same kind of treaty you would have seen in the ancient Near East. If, if a king had done what God did and went and saved Israel from Egypt, he would have written a treaty just like this for the Israelites, and it would have laid out the terms of their new servanthood to this new king. And so what's happening is that they're now being transferred from their master, Pharaoh, to this new master, Yahweh. From their king, Pharaoh, to this new king, Yahweh. And then in in the covenant, God lays out the terms of this new servanthood. And what are the terms? This is so beautiful. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? Or how about this? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so they enter into this new slavery, the only terms of which are what? Love. Love. And so that's the nature of the covenant that God frames with the Israelites at Sinai. He says, look, I saved you, and now you're not Pharaoh's slaves. Instead, you're my slaves. And the service that I ask of you is this, that you would love me and that you would love one another. Slaves to love. And so what Paul's going to get across to us in this passage is that we're still... We're still parties to that same slavery. Those of us who are in Christ, we haven't moved from slavery to sin. We haven't moved from slavery to sin to absolute liberty. Instead, we've moved from slavery to sin over to slavery to righteousness. And the difference between us and Israel is that they were given the written code, right? But we as Christians have been what? Supernaturally enabled to love God. So the first thing that Paul wants us to know when he's going to start getting this across is this. Look, grace is not the pathway to license, Grace is not the pathway to license. That's not what it's about. I remember listening to a Francis Chan sermon, and it was probably 10, 12 years ago, but he was getting across this point that, look, people are always asking me, aren't you afraid that if you keep on preaching grace, keep on preaching grace, keep on preaching grace, that the people in your church are going to be recklessly disobedient? They're never going to grow in obedience. They're never actually going to be sanctified. They're never actually going to learn how to obey what God has written in his word. And he said, no, I'm not worried about that at all, because if they're really Christians, then that's not possible. Because if they're really Christians, then when they hear me preach God's word, the word of grace, that's going to fuel obedience. That's going to spark obedience. That's going to increase obedience. It's not going to decrease it. It's not going to undermine it, but it's actually going to fuel it. And that's exactly the case. Have you ever bought anything with a 100% money-back guarantee? I don't care how long it is. 
I don't care what the reason is. If anything ever goes wrong with this product, we will give you your money back or a replacement. Man, I love buying stuff like that. Don't you? It's like Patagonia. I keep on waiting for something of my Patagonia stuff to go wrong so I can send it back to them and, and see what kind of magic ensues, right? They'll either fix it or they'll send me a bunch of money. I love it. We love to do things like that. And really, what's happening is that when we, when we receive God's grace, what he's actually giving us is a 100% guarantee that he's going to make us like Jesus, a 100% guarantee that he's going to transform us. That he sees us as we are. He knows about our sin. He knows how broken we are. He knows about our distance from him. And yet he gives us 100% guarantee that he will form us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, look. If we're preaching the gospel, both as a pastor and as an individual believer who is bearing witness to the gospel in the world, look, if we're preaching the gospel accurately, it ought to be easy for people to accuse us of antinomianism. What's that? That's no law, no rules, obedience doesn't matter, license, whatever you want to call it. If we're preaching the real gospel, it ought to be easy for people to accuse us of that. Because that's what was happening with Paul. The way that he preached the gospel made it easy for people to accuse him of that. So we ought to be open to the possibility of being accused of being a little bit, a little bit antinomian. But then we need to be ready to say, by no means. Because the grace of God will shape us into the likeness of Christ. So grace is not a pathway to license. It's not what it's about. Look at verses 16 and 17 here. Really verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So here's... What's actually true, grace is not the pathway to license, but instead, license is a pathway to slavery. In other words, doing what you want is exactly the way to lose freedom, to lose liberty. I remember, and Zach will remember this for sure, I don't know who else will remember, but I, I started trimming down my backpack stuff to be more what is considered ultralight backpacking. And the reason is because it's just a fun challenge to try to make do with as little as you can when you're out in the woods. And one of the ways that I reduced my weight was that I changed the meals that I was bringing for backpacking. And so I found these new meals and I noticed that they were way lighter than the ones I'd been carrying and they also had way better ingredients. They were awesome. And so I grabbed the right number of meals for the right number of times I was going to need to eat, threw them in the backpack, didn't think another thing about it. What I didn't notice was that not only were they lighter, they also had about half the calories of the meals that I was used to taking. And so thanks to my not paying attention to how many calories I was bringing, I just about starved out there and was sick. I can barely do the hike out on the last day. And so I was free from, I was free from weight, right? 
I, I was free from carrying all the extra weight in my backpack, but I was not free to eat. I was not free to be healthy. I was not free to hike well because I had not paid attention to the calories in the food I was carrying. And that's what Paul really wants to get across. Like, look, you think that you're free because you do what you want. You think you're free because you do what you want. You think you're free because you follow your desires. You think you're free because you're unrestrained by any sort of law. You think you're free because you're living in rebellion. But the reality is you're not free at all. You're just a slave to a different master. You're slaves to sin. You're slaves to the most ruthless master there is. You're slaves to sin. You're slaves to the exact thing that leads to death. You're slaves to enduring corruption. Whoever you give yourselves to, Paul says, that's who you're a slave to. There's no exception. All of us are unanimously slaves. We're all serving something. So are you obeying the worst parts of yourself? Right? Or are you obeying Christ? So what we do demonstrates our allegiance. And when we do what we want, we're just on a pathway to slavery. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, this phrase, you see the, you see the key phrase, right? You have become what? Obedient from the heart. You've become obedient from the heart. And this is, this is the reality of the new covenant, Right? Even as far back as Jeremiah, we're hearing about the word being written on our hearts. Right? That this new covenant is going to be put into place where no longer is it going to be that the word is out here for us to look at and aspire to. But instead the word is going to be in here to shape us and form us from the inside. To transform us into those who can actually do what it says. And in Hebrews we find out that the, the former covenant is broken but it's not broken because there's something wrong with what it says. It's broken because there's something wrong with us. We cannot obey it. We cannot live into it. We cannot live up to it. But in the new covenant, inside of Christ, what we have is this new ability to obey from the heart. In other words, we become those who are supernaturally enabled to love God. That means obedience. Or you could say we're supernaturally enabled to obey, and that means love. Right? In Christ, we are now supernaturally, we are transformed from those who are slaves to sin to those who are slaves to obedience. Think about this for a second. Have you ever thought about what you would see if, if you were able to go back in time and fly a drone over Eden? The Garden of Eden. If you're able to fly a drone over that moment when the serpent is there, he's given his pitch, 
And Eve is listening and eats the fruit and passes it to Adam. And he eats the fruit. If you were flying a drone over that situation, what would you see? My guess is we would have seen an invisible transformation. In other words, we probably wouldn't see anything out of the ordinary. We would just see a couple of human beings taking a bite of fruit. And from the outside, maybe everything looked the same. But on the inside, the hearts of these human beings were dimmed. The darkness didn't necessarily ensue above them and around them, but the darkness ensued within them. Right? And similarly, in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and performs a transformation that is invisible but real. And then this invisible transformation is made visible in and through our lives as it works itself out in us throughout our lifetimes. So the transformation that happens by means of the Holy Spirit, it becomes visible as we become obedient. It becomes visible as we are changed into the likeness of Jesus. Paul says it like this. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I could say it better, but you guys wouldn't get it. So I'm just going to say it in human terms. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. In other words, you used to give yourselves to whatever you wanted to do. You used to give yourselves to all of your carnal desires. You used to be like this. Whenever you would have an urge and it seemed super strong, you would just give yourself to it. You would just say yes to that. Whenever it felt like sin was too strong of a temptation, whenever you felt like you just could not say no to it, you just said yes. Right? You just followed those urges. You just decided you would be weaker than the worst parts of you. That's all you wanted to do. Just let me be a little bit weaker than the very worst parts of myself, and I'll be happy. Let me be a little bit weaker than the very worst parts of myself, and I'll be free. Let me be a little bit weaker than my very darkest desires. That's who I want to be. But now, you've been transformed. You're not the same kind of person anymore. You have a new life within you. You have a new ability within you. You have a new capacity for obedience within you. So now give yourselves to God. And when you give yourselves to God, what you find is that you're now stronger than the worst parts of yourself. You're now able to say yes to your best desires. And so you have this fighting desire. I want to sin and I want to obey. Now you're able to choose obedience. You're different. And your obedience is real because it's from the heart. It's fueled by love. It's real obedience. Look, it doesn't just map onto the letter of the law. It maps onto the spirit of the law now. Man, you might have been able to avoid this 
command, do not murder your entire life, you might have been able to do that and still been living in disobedience to that command. Because it's not fueled by love for God. The way I like to communicate this to kids is with this idea of a getaway car, right? You rob a bank, and then after you rob the bank, you run from the police in a getaway car, but you go the exact speed limit the entire time. Like, you obey every stop sign, you obey every stoplight, you do everything you're supposed to do the whole time you're in that car. You're following all the rules, and then the police pull you over, and they say, hey, you're going to jail now. Well, why? Well, you robbed a bank. Yeah, but that took about... Uh, a minute, 15 seconds, but I've been now obeying the law for four hours and 37 minutes. Every single law that has applied to me ever since I left the bank, I've obeyed. Look, why can't we kind of work something out? Four hours is a lot longer than a minute and a half. Well, yeah, but I don't know if you knew this, sir, but all those things that you did, you did while breaking the law. You were running from the police, right? And so that's the same way that our lives look as we're far from God. We, we might mark off all of the rules, but we're doing all those things while we're running from God. And nothing that we do while we're running from God is counted to us as righteousness. If you ask your kid to clean the living room and then they run from you, and as they're running from you, they happen to scoop up all the toys in the hallway... Are they being obedient? Of course not. But now, in Christ, we can obey the letter of the law, and it can matter. Because we obey from the heart, this new heart. This new heart that's able to love God. And the more we give ourselves to God, the more we say yes to what this new heart desires, the more we say yes to the Holy Spirit's promptings, the more we say yes to what God is working in us, then the more God continues to work in us, giving us grace and growth. So this new slavery, I think Paul would say, is the pathway to true liberty. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to what this says. It says that the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life in other words sanctification is the trajectory it is the trajectory setter for eternal life or you could say this eternal life is the trajectory of a life of sanctification when we grow in grace we're on the trajectory of eternal life it's just like Paul said, who are those who will be saved? Not the hearers of the law, but the, the doers of the law. That's who will be justified. 
In other words, our salvation, our very real salvation that comes by grace through faith is 100% guaranteed to result in our sanctification, our being formed into the likeness of Christ. And that will be enacted throughout our lifetime. We're going to die unfinished, every single one of us. And when we see Jesus, we'll be transformed by his appearance. 100% guaranteed, you're going to be sanctified. You're going to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. And that's never going to stop as long as you're alive. And it's never going to end until Jesus comes. And you will be transformed in the blinking of an eye. So liberty, this new liberty that we have, this, remember, it's, it's a certain kind of liberty. It's liberty to obey, right? It's this new ability that we have. We're able to love God. We're able to obey. This liberty leads to life. This liberty leads to life. Look, when God, when God stands in judgment over all humanity, what Scripture says is that God is not going to look foolish for what he has done. In other words, the lives of the saints will justify and bring glory to God in judgment. It'll be clear that God is wise and good and right. And I don't know about you guys, but there are moments in my life that call that into question. Anybody? Amen? Yep. There are moments that if you could see inside of my mind, you're like, really, God, is this going to bring glory to you? This guy, really God, is, is choosing me going to bring glory to you? Not only moments of thought, but moments of speech. Moments of action that call into question the wisdom of God in my salvation. But thanks be to God, he is not finished. And he will not fail to form me into the likeness of Christ. So that when I stand before him in judgment... He will receive great glory for having chosen to save one such as me. And he will make me like Jesus at last. There's yet another new Pinocchio. It's stop motion. It's by a director called Guillermo del Toro. Anybody ever heard of Guillermo del Toro, he, he just made this new Pinocchio. It's been out probably about three or four months, something like that. And it's more based on the original, the original story than what we think of as Pinocchio, which is, you know, what we saw as kids. And here's a little bit of a spoiler, forgive me, but at the end of the movie, Pinocchio has an opportunity to become a real boy Right, And the choice that he has to make is whether he will retain his immortality or whether he will give up his immortality in order to help Geppetto, his father. So he's got this series of deaths and resurrections throughout the movie. It's kind of wild if you're not familiar with that. But then at the end, 
He gets to choose. Do you want to stay immortal or do you want to give that up to save Geppetto? Man, what a stunning contrast to the gospel. Pinocchio, he has to give up his life in order to save the world, right? He has to give up his hope in order to be there to spare his father. But Jesus has come so that we can not give up the hope of eternal life. And that's the very best decision we could ever make. And that's what's going to save somebody else. But Jesus came so that we can have eternal life. (laughs) We don't become real by forgetting all about it. No, we gain eternal life just as we become real by the power of the Holy Spirit. Become real humans. Just like we were intended to be. Able to love God once more. So the challenge for us today from this text is the same as it's going to be in a few other texts in Romans. It's a point Paul likes to make. Check this out. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. Stop giving yourself to sin. Stop giving yourself to your worst desires. Stop giving yourself to those momentary urges. Stop giving yourself to the patterns of sin that rule you. And instead, give yourself to God and see if he will not shape your life into a pattern of obedience. Give yourself to God in prayer. Give yourself to God through the study of his word. Give yourself to God through community. Give yourself to God through God-honoring conversations. Give yourself to God through right patterns of life. Give yourself to God through giving. Give yourself to God through church attendance. Give yourself to God through all the things that he's told us in his word will help us move toward Christ-likeness and see if he won't keep his end of the deal. He will make you like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Romans chapter 6. Thank you for the clarity that you gave this man, Paul, to pin these words for our benefit, not his alone, not that of the first hearers alone, God, but for us to hear it and to be formed by it as your Holy Spirit works its reality into our lives. We love you and we ask you to shape us into the likeness of Jesus for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.